0: Good morning. Good morning. Like Christian Newsom said, my name is Marcellus Casey, and I'm really glad to be here. Um, I grew up in inner city Chicago. Uh, my dad is and was a pastor. Um, my mom is a lifetime educator, teacher, teacher. Um, I learned how to do ministry from my father, and I learned how to have empathy and how to love people from my mother. So we actually moved to Lee Summit in the middle of my freshman year of high school, and I uh, started going to Lee Summit High School. We got Chuck Harrelson in here, um, who who helped me get through math. And um, if you don't know that man, give him a hug for all his compassion and patience with me. Um, I met my wife in high school at Lee Summit high School. um Her dad is a pastor here in Lee Summit at Lee Summit Community Church. Uh, Doug Brown. Uh, My wife is half Chinese. Her mother is is a fully Chinese woman. So my wife and I now have four little Tiger Woods looking babies. And um, we have a lot of fun with our kids. We've been married for 15 years and uh, love parenting our kids and and being a part of ministry. So my 13 year old, she is like typical first child, like follows all the rules, does everything you ask her to do, loves to read Harry Potter, um, very studious, loves interior design. Um, our 11-year-old, her name is Cora. Now, all of our kids, they came out different complexions, different hair textures. All of our kids are different. So my second child, my 11-year-old, Cora, she came out more brown than everybody else, and she just loves it. She's like, me and daddy are brown, so we're going to sit over here. And it just frustrates my oldest daughter because she's like, I learned about Martin Luther King Jr. at school, and you can't discriminate against me like that. So we got like this little reverse Civil rights movement happening In our home um, But they they are funny and fun um, My 8 year old Her name is Vivian She's super competitive She also has this beautiful little raspy voice Where like anything that she asks for Like you just want to give it to her Because it's just like daddy Daddy can I have a piece of candy And it's like oh there it is You can have it And she's super competitive Loves soccer She came home the other day um, From one of her soccer games She's like daddy my, my coach thinks that I'm the best soccer player on our team And she's like, but he would never say that out loud. I was like, wow, okay. (laughs) Okay, so you can read your coach's mind. I, I like that. Um, and then our last child, um, God gave me a boy. So I have, I have three girls, one boy. And our last child, he's six years old. His name is Ralphie. And he's just like the greatest kid ever. He's all boy. He's got like 30 ninja costumes, Legos, Lincoln logs, all that. And, um, he's big. He's just, he just has bigger hands, bigger feet, head kind of swollen, like just a big dude in deep voice, daddy, you know? And, and so he, so normal people point at things with one finger. Ralphie, my son, he like points with his handcuff. Daddy, there's a plane over there. And Daddy, there's a train. You know, and it's just, that's my boy. He's all boy. And uh, one time I was actually speaking at a camp out in L.A. um, at UCLA for FCA. That's a lot of acronyms. Um, But we were out there and we were going to the beach in Santa Monica and we're getting all of our stuff together. We had a little Airbnb before the camp started and my son comes up to me and I, I love fanny packs when I travel. So I wear these slick little fanny packs fits under your shirt you can slide a little debit card credit card a little cash in there and I love fanny packs and and so my son comes up to me while we're getting ready and and he cups his hand and points at me and he's like daddy when I get older I will never wear one of those (laughs) (laughs) and it just broke my heart um, because I love those fanny packs. Um, so, so when I was in college, um, I played football at Northwest Missouri state. I played for two years. I was an elite level, top tier walk-on, um, which means I was just a walk-on on the team. Um, but enjoy being on the team, enjoy ministering to my teammates and to my coaches. Um, I would just carry my little Bible everywhere and, and just pour my heart out in ministry so much so that actually the Lord spoke to me and I quit the team three weeks before practice of my junior year and I became our team chaplain. Um, I did that for two years and then actually went on staff with Fellowship of Christian Athletes for six years in Champaign, Illinois. I was the chaplain at University of Illinois for the football and basketball team. My wife and I um, got married right before we moved there. We had two babies in Illinois, and then our last two babies we had in Kansas City. So we moved here in 2011, um, where I was working for FCA as the area director um, for Fellowship of Christian Athletes and enjoyed doing that for six years, spent um, my last couple of years as a pastor at Red Deamer fellowship and then um, the last year I've actually been the chief operating officer um, for the ministry that Christian was talking about at the Hope Center so God has done a lot in me and my wife's life and moved us around and shifted us and we're always just trying to be sensitive to his voice and and do what he asked us to do and it's really my honor um, to be with you all so we're gonna pray together uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little risk um, in this prayer because um, I'm gonna pray and then, and then we'll get into the message but I've actually been doing Doing this in my messages with the chiefs this year. So, um, if you can imagine, um, a room about the size of this middle part, um, and all the guys come in and football chapels are real quiet. Okay. It's very serious. You know, the guys are real focused and, and you're, you know, you're just a few, um, hours before the game. So what we'll do is I go to their hotel and this year, what we've been doing is I've actually been giving them some time of quiet. So if you can imagine this, like with these football players that are busy and moving around and, and got a lot going and memorizing plays and doing a lot of different things to get some time of quiet. And I, I believe that God put this on my heart just as you all think about, man, the political season we're in, as you think about Thanksgiving plans trying to come together, maybe some of them being canceled, as you think about our obsession with social media and all the different ways that we are distracted and have so many things coming across our face and coming across our minds minds. I want, I I want to do like I've been doing with the chiefs to just hand some time back to you. So I'm going to pray. And then for about 30 seconds after I pray, if you just keep your eyes closed and just be quiet. And while you're doing that, I'm going to be praying for you silently, and then we'll dive into our message. Okay. So let's pray. Um, God, thank you so much for your love and God, I thank you that your love actually never changes. God, there's nothing that we can do to earn your love. There's nothing that we can do to lose your love. And so I pray that we would surrender to your love more deeply as we hear your word. God, help us to trust you more because we encounter you in this time. God, don't let us walk out of the doors of this church unchanged. So where there's hard hearts, God, I pray that you would soften them. God, where there's people that, that, that are so hurt, God, I pray that you would deliver true and real comfort and healing in this room. So God bless us now, even as we spend a moment just being quiet before you as your children. Amen. Matthew chapter five, verse four says this, says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. As you guys have gone through the Beatitudes um, with Christian and some of your other pastors, A lot of these statements can feel kind of confusing to say that someone is blessed when they're poor in spirit, to say that someone is blessed when they're being persecuted, to say that someone is blessed when they are mourning. But what I believe today is actually that our mourning is what truly gives us access to the true and real comfort and healing that only God can give us. Our mourning, um, if, you're, if you're taking notes, when we look at what mourning is, it's when we are able to emotionally and spiritually connect with the pain that we experience in this world. Where we're actually able to grasp reality. We're not trying to rush past it. We're not trying to act like it didn't happen, but we're we're in our hearts and in our souls and in the deepest parts of our being. Allowing ourselves to grasp reality. That actually happened. That was actually painful, what I saw or what I went through or what they went through. And allowing ourselves the time to sit with it and to actually feel it. It's, it's, it's really grasping reality instead of running away from it. Um, there's an author uh, named Seth Haynes, and he's a former pastor. Now he's a writer and a speaker, and he used to um, be addicted to alcohol, and then he got clean, and he, since then, he's been speaking and helping pastors who struggle with addiction. So he, he actually has a book um, that tells his story. It's called Coming Clean, and then he has another book called The Book of Waking Up. And in the book of waking up, he actually talks about the neural pathways in our brains and how actually when we've experienced pain, either in our childhood or in adulthood, that our brains create a path that wants to avoid that pain. So what our brains will do whenever we sense that we're close to that pain or we're or or we're actually going through pain or we start to think about pain, our brains take a different pathway to go to pleasure. And so actually, as, as you repeat behaviors, it becomes easy to become addicted to things. In this book um, called The Book of Waking Up that Seth Haynes wrote, man, he actually talks about how most addictions are pretty much all the same, whether it's a sexual addiction or alcoholism or a drug addiction or just being addicted to being on your phone all the time, which is an actual addiction, where we're actually using something good that God gave us. To distract us from something that we need to mourn, something that we need to grieve, something that we need to engage with. That's what an addiction is, is taking something good or taking something illicit and using it in a way so that we can escape reality. So that we don't have to go there with our mourning, so that we don't have to go there with our grief, so that we don't have to go there with our pain. We're cutting off reality in order to be distracted man, think about how God created us. He created us different from anything that he created in all the world, whether it's the sun or the moon or the trees or the grass or seed bearing fruits. God made us different than even animals. The way that we eat food, the way that we procreate, like for us, it's not just instinct. It's not just something that we do just to get it done. Animals, they eat just to eat and just to have calories and just to survive. For us, A meal is meaningful and beautiful. It's why we do obsess about our Thanksgiving plans because, man, Thanksgiving elicits memories of fellowship and communion and friendship and family and looking people in the eyes when we eat food. It's not like the animals. God gave us a soul. He made us in his likeness and image. So God gave us feelings. They didn't come from nowhere. They're not bad. But God actually built us as embodied souls that actually have feelings that we can actually connect with God who loves us. We can connect with other human beings. We have feelings. So when we think about blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, we're participating with how God actually created us to be who he wants us to be, people that can slow themselves down and grasp and feel reality and engage with it so that they can actually gain comfort in healing from God. There's three things for us to mourn continually, and these are, these are three pretty broad categories, and you can fit a lot into them, um, but there are three that I think we need to focus on today. The first is our personal sin. The second is the sin of others, and the third is suffering and brokenness in the world. So when we think about our, our personal sin, like why should we have to mourn our own sin? Man, when we engage with mourning and grief, usually it's because we had a certain expectation and it didn't happen. Or the Bible has a certain expectation and it doesn't happen. You might have an expectation of yourself and then you look in the mirror And you're reminded of places where you have not met that expectation, whether it's a personal um, goal or value that you have or something biblical that God has asked us to do. And you find yourself falling short of it. That could be in your marriage. That could be in your friendships. That could be in your job. Maybe you've lied. Maybe maybe you've cheated. Maybe you've cut corners. Maybe you've been um, angry with someone and you cut them with your words. And you look into the mirror and you see a big gap between who God made you to be and who you actually are. And now what is the response? The response is to mourn our sin, not just move past it quickly, but to actually feel it and actually confess it and actually repent in first Corinthians chapter five. And we're actually going through the book of first Corinthians um, with the chiefs this year. Um, but in chapter five, man, Paul is talking to this church about a person who is sinning and, and, and they are outwardly, they're saying, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but they are flaunting their sin in front of the church and the rest of the church is okay with it. So he's saying, look at this personal sin of this one person and the rest of you as a church because nobody cares that it's actually happening. So in, in chapter five, verse two, he says, you're arrogant, He says, ought not, you not rather to mourn? He's like, shouldn't y'all be upset about this? Like, am I the only one seeing this? You should be mourning. Your heart should be broken. You guys have all been there before when somebody apologizes to you, but you're like, man, do they really feel it? Do they really mean it? Are they really emotionally and spiritually connected with, their, with what they're saying? Or are they just saying this to me just to, just to move past this and just to get this over with really quickly? The second thing that we see are, are the sin of others. Man, when we come around somebody else and their sin, maybe it even, doesn't even hurt us, but we just see it happening. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, Paul says to the church, he says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality and the sensuality that they have practiced. And what he's saying is like, he, he, he doesn't say in here, hey, when I come to you, I'm, I'm going to have to put you in your place. I'm going to I'm gonna have to tell you about it. I'm going to have to correct everybody and I have to fix you. He says, no, what might have to happen is I might have to come in front of you and fall apart and grieve and mourn because I see what you're wrestling with. To mourn and to grieve other people's sin when you see somebody's marriage struggling, when your in-laws have hurt your other in-laws, When you see somebody's child falling apart and falling into sin and it breaks your heart, man, it's easy for us to run to social media. It's easy for us to judge other people or or come up with an opinion of why it's happening and we become all of a sudden Dr. Phil and oh, I think this is what happened and what went wrong and you've diagnosed it and that's it. But to grieve it and to feel it when somebody else is sinning. The third thing is suffering and brokenness in our world. You don't have to look far to see unrest that's happening all over the world. You don't have to look far to see it in your city, in your neighborhood, in your subdivision, on your block. You don't have to look far but look at the news and see where we are politically, to see where we are racially, to see how divided our country is right now. We can see the suffering and the brokenness, but do we connect with it? These are God's words um, through, the, through the prophet Isaiah. And Jesus later in the New Testament actually stood up in the middle of a of the synagogue, grabbed a scroll of Isaiah and read this um, in the middle of that synagogue. And this is, what, this is what it says. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, and to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes." So what is God about? God is about fixing the brokenness of our world, to bless those who are actually mourning and grieving. Man, it's easy for us to look at people who are different than us politically and to assess where they are or to go back and forth over Facebook and, and give our commentary It's easy for us to have different views on race or American history or different views on sexuality or what have you. And it's easy for us to attack and to argue and to go back and forth. And there is such a thing as healthy debate. But can we actually engage with, man, I think differently than that person. And I see the brokenness of their way of thinking. And I see the brokenness of my way of thinking. And I'm going to engage with this emotionally and spiritually. So where do we go with our mourning? Like like you, you kind of have this sitting in your chest or maybe you take enough time to sit down at home and actually mourn and actually grieve and actually feel what you need to feel. So like where do you go with it? If, if it's all just sitting in your chest, what do you do with it? There's two things that we do, um, with our mourning. The first is, is we, we lament and we intercede so we can go to God with lament and intercession. And the second is that, um, we can, we can step towards meaningful action. So the first thing, um, with lament and intercession, man, in Nehemiah chapter one, um, Nehemiah gets a vision to restore God's city. He gets a vision that, man, things are broken and things are messed up. We're not able to live where God called us to live. And we're not able to have the heritage that God called us to have. And he's broken up about it. So listen, listen to what he says in in chapter one, verse four, when he hears about this, says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, "O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be t- attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. So what Nehemiah does first is like, he sits down and he allows himself to mourn and then he begins to pray and he's fasting. And then he starts confessing sin and saying, God, this is where I've messed up personally. This is where generations before me have messed up. Can we even think about that? Can you think about like going back to like what your parents went through, what your grandparents went through, patterns that you've seen in your family, patterns that you've seen in history, and confess that. It's not that you have to own it personally, but can you feel it and can you take that to God, even generationally? Look what Jesus did um, when he came upon um, Lazarus. Jesus actually got news that his friend was sick and he delayed his trip before he went to his friend. And by the time he got to his friend, his friend was dead. And this is what Jesus says in in his lament and in his intercession. He asked the people, he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. And we're talking about Jesus, like we're talking about practice. You guys seen that? On Earth. <laughs> I'm sorry. that just slipped out, man. We're talking about Jesus, the one who holds all power in his hands, who can change anything, who can make anything new, who can raise the dead. He went there emotionally. His friend was dead. People are grieving. People are weeping. And he says, and in this text says that he wept, it goes on to say that they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes. And he said, father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me like he's praying. He's communing with the father in the midst of his grief. So we take our grief um, to lament and intercession. And the second thing that we do with our grief and with our mourning is that we take meaningful action. Like God doesn't just call us to only pray. God doesn't call us to only fast, although like every Christian, not just your pastors should fast. That's a discipline that all of us should engage with to give up food, to give up comfort, to give up um, normal pleasures. Th- those are important things. But God also calls us to meaningful action. In Nehemiah chapter two, Nehemiah says this, he says, and I said to the king, he, w- he was speaking to the to the king um, of where where the Jewish people were in captivity and so he actually goes to his boss and asks for resources to go fix the problem that he just prayed about. So he says to the king, he says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you may send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He took ownership of what he was mourning. He grabbed it and went after it with meaningful action. He, he felt a call. He felt a passion to move towards the brokenness and to go rebuild what was broken. And Jesus, as, as John chapter 11 continues from where we just read, he didn't just weep that Lazarus was dead. He didn't just grieve it. We don't, we don't serve a weak God we don't serve a God that we pray to and he listens to us but can't do anything about it. We serve a God that is alive and makes people alive. And this is what the text says. It says, when he had said these things, he cried out in a loud, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He changed it. He made a dead man come alive. And when we're able to actually mourn, and connect with things that we need to grieve, there is power, power for your own personal healing, for the healing of our country, for the healing of your family, for the healing of your city, for the healing of this world. The last thing that I'll leave you with is that man, coming to God's comfort and coming to his healing is always better than distraction. Because comfort actually allows for intimacy. It allows for closeness. We can come close to God because we're connecting with our grief. We're connecting with our mourning. We're connecting with our sin, other people's sin, and the brokenness of the world. And we're we're laying bare our hearts to our God that loves us. And it actually draws us closer with God. If we don't do that, we're just saying, God, I don't need you. I'll just, you know, I'll work a little harder. I'll distract myself a little more. I'll become a little more successful. I'll make myself look a little more pretty. I'll preach better. I'll do this better. I'll do that better. And God's like, no, I want your heart. I want to be close to you. Distraction actually causes distance from God, from community and the relationships around us, And it actually distances us from healing and true comfort. We can't be close to God and we can't be close to other people when we won't go there. When we won't let them see that thing in our heart that we're grieving. Distraction actually causes distance. And it also causes distance from healing and true comfort because what distraction does it promises that you're going to be okay it promises like oh yeah just look at your phone flip through instagram and that sin that you were feeling bad about when you looked in the mirror it'll go away you don't I, you don't have to think that much about it okay i'll just go work a little more and you'll forget about the way that you saw your neighbor talking to his wife you don't you don't need to talk to him about that you don't need to step in there just distract yourself. You don't need to go towards that pain. Maybe there's healing that you need um, from your childhood or things that have happened in your life and and go into that painful place in your mind as Seth Haynes talks about, like you don't want to go there. You'd rather go straight to pleasure instead of going to the pain. But what God does is he goes straight to the pain. He goes straight to the wound and he's patient with you and he loves you. He'll do it with you for over decades and over years. He's not in a rush. And there's times where he heals you in an instant. In the book of Jeremiah, there were prophets lying to God's people. They were saying, oh, you know what? God's people aren't that broken. We're not that messed up. It's all good. God's not going to judge us. God won't do anything. They diminished their own sin. They diminished the power of God and they lied to God's people over and over and over again. In the prophet Jeremiah, he asked these questions because he knew they couldn't get real healing unless they properly diagnose what's going on. The prophets were lying and saying, we're going to be okay. We're fine. It's not that big a deal, but sometimes you need to look at something and say, hey, it's a big deal and I need to feel it. I need to go there. Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 22, he asks these questions. He says, is there no balm in Gilead balm, meaning an ointment or something that will heal a wound? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Where's the balm? Where's the healing? Where's the ointment? Where's the change? Where's the transformation? I've been praying about this and asking God for this. If you go to a black church, you'll hear him sing a song that doesn't ask these questions like this. But it proclaims there is a balm in Gilead. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a healing. There is a comfort because we've looked at the pain and we have felt the pain and we've mourned it and we've grieved it. And now we say there is a balm in Gilead in the name of Jesus because he loves you, because he wants to change you, because he wants to heal you. And he's given us the pathway through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. He allowed himself to be wounded to heal our wounds. His blood was shed to cleanse us and to make us right with God the Father. He's the only one that can do that. And then he gave us these words, the pathway to healing. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your truth. God, in the way that you properly diagnose us as weak and as needy and as sinful and as people who need to be changed and transformed by Jesus Christ. God, thank you for telling us the truth about ourselves so that we don't have to prop up some fake image that we've got it all together or or that we can just quickly move past things. So, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that we wouldn't quickly move past this even today, that we wouldn't rush off to lunch, that we wouldn't even rush to get the kids. The kids will survive in the kids' classes, but that we would even come forward for prayer, that we would recognize where we've been wounded, where we've been hurt where we need to be healed, where we've even hurt other people and we need forgiveness. God, help us to put our arms around reality and to find true comfort and true healing in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: amen. Marcellus, for being with us all day today. Thank you. Thanks, Marcellus, I've taken notes, all three services on different sheets of paper. I've written different things down almost every time today. Real big on the back of my notes, I have this, don't escape reality, embrace reality. What Lee Summit needs, what Kansas City needs, what our world needs is not a bunch of Christians who cannot wait to get out of 2020, but a bunch of followers of Jesus who will embrace 2020. And I love what it said about Nehemiah. I just picked this up only in the 11 a.m. He mourned for days. Most of us have 10 or 15 minutes to think, and then we're on to the next thing. He mourned for days. Remember when we talked about about a year ago this time, a year ago October, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. We said sometimes it's not God's will for us to avoid the fire. Sometimes it's to go through the fire with him so we can learn some things about him and some things about faith that we didn't know before. Don't escape reality. Embrace it and mourn it because that is the way to comfort. So you say, Christian, I cannot embrace any more pain this year. Here's the promise of Jesus. If you will mourn, you will be comforted. Maybe the reason we haven't got comfort for the other things that we're going through in life, with our families, with our friends, with our communities, and our jobs, and our economy, politically, racially, and all the things going on, maybe the reason we haven't been comforted yet is because we haven't mourned yet. We haven't mourned for days. So many times, if we can't fix something, we don't even want to talk about it. And if it hurts, we certainly are not willing to feel it. My prayer for our church is that we might be, as we walk in the ways of Jesus, Jesus was someone who had to mourn. His pain healed our pain. His blood cleansed our blood. His tears heal our tears. And if we want to live in the ways of Jesus, we have to become like him. And when he looked at broken humanity, he didn't tell God, I'm running the other way. He said, I'm going to run toward it. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to become like them. I'm going to become human like them. I'm going to serve them. Eventually I'm going to go to a cross for them. I'm going to raise from the dead for them so that one day at my name, their knee might bow and their tongue might confess, I'm the Lord and they're going to live life like me, which means they'll mourn sin, their sin, the sin of others, suffering and brokenness in the world, because when they feel it, they'll find true healing. Don't skip the pathway of pain because that's where true healing is. Marcellus, thank you for teaching so clearly the words of Jesus today. We're going to end with worship. Would you stand with me before we close in worship? And we just pray, Heavenly Father, you said, Blessed are those who mourn. And Father, our goal this whole series is to learn the ways of Jesus so that we can live like Jesus because we are followers of Jesus. And Lord, we want to experience all of your love and we want to experience all of your power. But Lord, we want to be used so the world can experience your love and your power through our lives as well. So help us like Nehemiah, learn to mourn for days if that's what it takes. Help us not to be a group of Christians who cannot wait to escape 2020, but help us to be a church who embraces. 2020 and all the challenges of it and all the pain of it and all the discomfort of it help us to sit in it so that we can learn from it so that we can grow from it so that we can be used in the midst of it God that is our prayer we sang earlier when you walk into the room you change everything and Lord we know you walked into the room of human suffering and you sat down in it you felt it you were tempted in all the ways that we are, yet without sin. And you told us when we run our race to fix our eyes on you, because you did not despise suffering, but you went to the cross. And when we see you, we'll be willing to sit in it as well. Lord, help the promise of the beatitudes to be true. That blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lord, if we will embrace our reality, if we will sit in our reality, if we will mourn our reality, Lord, if we will do what you've asked us to do, I pray that you will do what you've promised to do. You'll comfort us in the midst of our pain. That's our prayer. And Lord, we ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.